0: Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. Join us as we cover a multitude of real estate-related topics with some of the brightest and most experienced minds in the industry. Our goal with The Real Podcast is to provide information, strategies, and insight on how to navigate the current and upcoming Canadian market. We use the experiences, knowledge, and the expertise of our guests and professionals in the field and offer it all back to you, the listener. We hope you enjoy the show. Be sure to check out our website at www.reilounge.com. We're your hosts, Brian Fitzgerald, Erica Spencer, and Jay Shaw. Okay, hello everybody and welcome to the Real Estate Investors Lounge. My name is Brian Fitzgerald and I'm here with Erica Spencer and Jay Shaw. And on today's podcast, we're sitting down with two of the industry's professionals when it comes to mortgages but more specifically, mortgages geared towards investors. Today on the Real Estate Investors Lounge, we're going to be going up one side and down the other of mortgages with Dave Butler and Dan Patton from Butler Mortgages. I speak for all of us on the Real Podcast that these guys are the guys that are a vital part to your network and forming that dream team we're constantly speaking about. I'm really excited to sit down and talk the good stuff with these guys. So without further ado, here's Dave Butler and Dan Patton. How are you doing, guys?
1: Hey, you're doing great. How are you doing?
0: Very good, very good. So, uh, without getting uh, too mushy with each other, uh, tell us about yourselves and and your background, and uh, we'll start with that.
1: Well, this I'll let uh, I'll let Dave start first. He's he sort of got into mortgages before me, so we'll start off with with his story, and then I'll uh, I'll fill you in on how I got into the business.
2: Cool. Yeah, my my story is pretty uh, fairly straightforward. I mean, I was. Uh, University of Toronto, uh, doing a Bachelor of Commerce, Uh, didn't have any idea what I was going to do when I got out. Uh, You know, they they tell you you can be an accountant and all these other things with this degree, but uh, uh, none of that really appealed to me. Um, My dad was doing mortgage brokering for a while, and this is about, I guess, 16, 17 years ago. So I just, you know, I, I think I owed my dad some money for money he had lent me uh, to pay my tuition and stuff like that. So I just thought the best fit was I'll go work for dad for a while, just kind of be a lazy kid for a bit and, uh, you know, earn some easy money at dad's office. Um, and I ended up liking it. I just ended up really, really liking mortgages. Um, I, I, I saw the appeal there in terms of being able to have a career, build a practice. Um, so, I mean, I, went I learned, I apprenticed under my dad for probably about eight to 10 months and, um, my dad comes from a very, you know, uh, 70s, 80s, like hyper marketing background. And I, that, that didn't really necessarily fit me as much as more of a, I felt like I could get along well with real estate agents. And I wanted to kind of get into a bit of a niche, you know, work with certain types of clients. So I I broke off from my dad, went and uh, joined mortgage intelligence, um, which at the time was the biggest uh, mortgage broker that was out there, and the reason I did that was because I was so young. I was like 23 years old, and uh, you know I had pimples all over my face, and uh, uh, I knew that you know some little pimple faced kid, you know, going and talking to adults about mortgages wasn't the greatest start. So I at least needed to have a good logo on my business card um, and a name that they, you know, the clients and realtors would would be able to recognize and uh so that's my dad was able to get me set up over there and uh they graciously the the gentleman his name's Peter Doherty a shout out to him uh he actually was the area rep that hired me on and gave me my ability to make my own team um and right when I was hired I uh I contacted Dan because we had been best friends for many 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 years before that and I said Dan uh I think you should come and do this with me I think we could do this together (laughs)
1: which is basically so i i was doing i mean i was in school you know sort of like dave just trying to figure out what i was trying to do um i think i was about 19 when i decided i wanted to be a police officer so i actually went to sheridan college for the police foundations uh class i actually went to college before that but didn't didn't end so well for business i didn't like the class didn't like the math and stuff so i left but went back a few years later for police foundations because i thought i was going to be a police officer and uh graduated from there um did really well was applying at different uh, services uh, within the municipalities peel york all those places and uh, bartending on the side just sort of serving bartending uh, honing my sales skills i guess so to speak and uh, from there dave and i like dave said we've we've always been super tight dave and i've always been best friends since we were kids and he'd been telling me i mean he had he won rookie of the year in his first year he, didn't mention that with Mortgage Intelligence, but he was actually their Rookie of the Year as a 23-year-old kid amongst like 1,500 agents across the country. So when I saw him doing so well, I mean, Dave was always very smart business-wise, and my greatest asset, I always say is (laughs) I'm able to follow Dave and listen to what Dave says when it comes to math and business, because he's just always been strong with that. So for me, it was very simple. Look at what's working with somebody else, apply it to myself, and go along for the ride. And I think in my first week I started, I was bartending at first, and I was working two or three days a week, i just go by, at that point, we worked out of a house, but we also would use, they said, we worked for Mortgage Intelligence. We would use their head office as sort of a satellite office to meet clients. But when we weren't there, we literally worked out of his house where we called clients, we called realtors, and we tried to build our business. Um, Well, from there, Dave just basically, you know, said you got to come come work with me so i took a chance worked with him a couple days a week i think in my first two three weeks he sent me on a uh, pickup to pick up some flyers for marketing and while i was there i ran into a guy who needed a mortgage Uh, (laughs) a month later i had my first mortgage deal and the rest is history i haven't looked back since just stopped applying for the police and been doing mortgages for over 15 years since then so that's i guess how i got into it and been enjoying it ever since
0: very cool So both of you have been in the industry for about 15, 16 years, right?
2: Yeah, right around. I mean, I think I was 2003 or 2002, 2003. I I mean, plus or minus a year. And then Dan would have been basically almost one year. to the Yeah,
1: one or two years later, maybe a year and a half, so to speak. Took me a while to get my feet on the ground, obviously. They've they've had a good you know, set up with his dad as well, because his dad was doing mortgages, so Dave had a lot of exposure. When I was coming in, that was like me going to Dave's office, not knowing anything about mortgages, so there was there was a big learning curve, for sure. I was lucky to have him as a teacher, because it's a lot to take in when you don't know anything about mortgages and <laughs> you're a 24-year-old kid.
2: For sure. I'm not a very good teacher at all, so, I mean, it, it, I don't, I'm a horrible teacher. I really... We, I only I only learn by showing people their mistakes. So, <laughs> how
3: many times did you make did you make Dan cry, Dave? That's what I want to know.
2: <laughs> oh, never. That's, that's that's the whole reason Dan and I can work together, because we're both. I mean, we come from a Dan and I come from. You know, you if you saw us now, you may not think of it, but we come from a very athletic background where we were in very high level yeah. sports, and so we're used to being yelled at and screamed at and you know yeah
1: that's nothing
2: doesn't bother it doesn't bother if Dan's screaming at me or I'm screaming at Dan doesn't bother us we know five seconds later we'll be fine again
1: it's just the urgency you only scream when something urgent's going on right so you have to have that sense of urgency
4: so um I mean wow I don't even know where to start because I think I learned so much in the first five minutes uh in terms of Dave wanting to be an accountant Dan wanting to be a, a police officer. Those are two things uh, I never would have pictured either of you doing because um, just, just your personalities, right? I mean, just in uh, the, the way you interact with clients. And I think that's that's amazing and it speaks to kind of the work that you're doing now. So, um, you know, Brian kind of touched on it from the outset. Um, you guys predominantly, um, almost I would say exclusively, work with real estate investors, uh, which seems to be a really specialized niche. How did you get involved in that? What made you want to go down that path to work exclusively with just uh, real estate investors? Uh, I
2: think, I mean, it was, uh, there's a little bit of fluke. Um, you know, it, the reality is uh, it goes back to Tom and Nick from, obviously, the owners of Rockstar. Uh, the story really is that uh, when I, when before we were even mortgage agents, Dan or I, uh, when I was a teenager, uh, late teens, let's say early 20s, um, I worked out at Gold's Gym in Mississauga there. And a buddy of mine that I played hockey with, this guy named Rocco, a goalie of ours for many years on one of our traveling teams, uh, he was working out there with this with this other guy, and I was introduced to this guy, and it turned out it was Nick. So um, I had known of Nick for a bit. Uh, we had always seen each other at the gym, kind of talked, said, hi, how you doing? Um, I wasn't in mortgages. Nick wasn't in real estate at all. Years later, uh, you know, he was working out there by himself. I was working out there by himself. I had just gotten... I think started, I just left my dad's and started my own practice. And I told Nick what I was doing. And it turns out then him and Tom were uh, starting to buy investment properties. So it was actually, it was really fluke. I mean, i had always wanted to have a niche. I think that's everyone's, you always want to be in something where you're desperately needed. Um, but I didn't really know the niche I wanted to be in. And so pretty much by luck, Tom and Nick had bought a home. They were having trouble getting financing on it. And I have, and obviously I'm saying to Nick, hey, I'm am I'm a mortgage broker now. Uh, you know, let me give it a try. So I got the deal. Uh, I was able to get an approval for them. Um, then they just kept buying more and I kept getting the approvals and, uh, it wasn't long you know, you know, before they were starting to send their friends and family. Cause they, you know, they, when they believe in something they they're, they're like me, they'll, and Dan will shout it to the rooftops to let everyone else know what's going on. So, you know, it, all of a sudden I'm doing mortgages for Nick's parents, uh, t- you know, um, uh, uh, they, you know, Dave and Eddie Jernick, they were also really good friends of Tom and Nick's. They started investing. Their parents were investing. So it just kind of started growing like that. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, to Dan and I's pleasure, was uh, Tom and Nick decided they were going to quit their jobs and they were going to open up an investment club. Um, and that they wanted us to be the, you know, primary uh, mortgage broker for their club. So, uh, very, I mean, that's. There's a lot of luck involved. I tell people say, Well, how did you get you know, how do you work with Rockstar? How do you you know work with investors? Um call it dumb hard working luck. I mean, we were just tough workers, hard workers and you know, over time you generate enough contacts and sometimes you're gonna get lucky, you know, where where the source of the contact comes from. So we just just fit pure you know, circumstantial luck, but um you know, I think it was a good fit. I mean, I think Tom and Nick are are both, you know, as we now know, they're solid, solid business owners. um you know, and I think they're looking for the same thing. i, I the the biggest thing I think Dan and I will always, you know be able to relate to with Tom and Nick and then yourself and Erica and you know everyone else that works at rockstar We really care about the deal getting done. I mean, we, the investor buying their home and getting it done. We really care about it. we you know, Dan, Dan and I are investors as well. So we are looking at it from a client's perspective almost at all times. Um, and that's that's the reality, is that's how we got started. But uh, you know we, 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 we worked we worked very hard at it and we started to implement over time, you start to be able to implement specific programs that are exclusive to our investors that other mortgage brokers aren't doing because they don't have the type of clients you know like we started a uh with, when rent to own was a really 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 big thing not that it's not huge now but i mean it's certainly it, it's it's kind of hit its peak a couple years ago um we had opened up a um a credit uh, repair and a credit check system for prospective tenant buyers because we wanted our our investors to be able to put the right tenant buyers in the homes and we wanted to be able to help those tenant buyers buy the homes so that our investor could sell it and then go and buy two more homes after that. So, I mean, these are just little things that we carried on doing, but the reality is it was probably just pure dumb, hard-working luck.
3: And just to kind of focus on one thing that you said in that whole long spiel with tons of information that I always tell my clients, that you know if Dave and Dan can't get it done like it's not getting done like i mean these guys you know actually care about what they're doing and it's not just like a oh the underwriter said no okay like next file right like i mean you guys are 100% 110% on the deal at all times and um if there's a way to get it done then it'll happen with you guys for
2: sure so
4: yeah.
2: to, i mean even I as mean, you know Erica even if even if we can't do the deal through the lenders that are in the mortgage broker channel we have contacts outside the mortgage broker channel at CIBC and RBC and we don't, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to toot our horn, but I mean, we, we really don't care how or where the deal gets done. We just care that the investor gets the deal done. And
4: that's, mm-hmm.
2: I think, you know, over time, you know, we're not five years into the business and struggling to pay our bills. And that's no disrespect to anyone that is doing that. It's just that we, we, we're, we're way past that. Like financially, Dan and I are, are fairly sound. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. Um We're 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 not in it. We're you know there's a lot of people you you look at them and you talk to them and you see the way they act and you say well they're in it for the commission. I mean we don't I don't we don't even think about things like that. It's really just make the investor happy. If the investor is happy, Rockstar's happy. Everyone at Rockstar then is happy, and then that makes us happy. I mean that's (laughs) Is as weird as it sounds, and I know as as cheesy as it sounds, that's just how we operate, and it's 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 worked out so far.
1: Well, I think a lot of the investors. I think a lot of the investors that Dave and I deal with as well, it's a natural progression as well in terms of them scaling. Because number one, when you're dealing with investors, it's not like it's their first rodeo. Most of the time they've bought properties before. They've been through financing. So they can sniff out that sort of mortgage broker or that sort of bankrupt that might not be in it for them, right? That's just, it's natural for people like Dave and I to care about the deal because number one, we're self-employed and it's, it's our business. But number two, every deal matters in the sense that we have to take care of the investors on every single deal, regardless of whether it's us or whether it's an outside source closing it, because that's that's the only way to grow with somebody like that that's going to be continuously buying.
3: So, Dan, like, what's the biggest difference you guys find with dealing with uh, primarily investors more so than, you know, end users or, or um, people buying their principal residences? Like, I know you and I talk a, a lot about um, clients and investors and stuff like that, but like from your point of things, like, what, what's like the major difference that you see
1: Well, I I think with any client, regardless of whether they're investors, you can break them off into sort of different groups. And the important thing that's always been like bottom line for Dave and I in our office is we have to treat everybody individual. And everybody is different in terms of the investment, the way they want to scale, the amount of properties they want to buy. And the same thing can be said for first-time buyers or people looking to refinance. So the history, obviously, the experience that we have sort of allows us to plan, you know. different formulas, different mortgages for every sort of situation. But in terms of differences, everybody from the core is different from an investment standpoint to first-time buying. But investors in particular, I mean, if you're asking me how how they differ from first-time buyers, just in a straight sense, I mean, investors, obviously, they come with a little bit more knowledge. They're not as focused necessarily on interest rate because interest rate, although it's a very important part of buying investment properties, if you're trying to scale the ability to buy, it's not the only thing we want to look at. Whereas sometimes first-time buyers, and rightfully so, their primary focus focus is what's the lowest rate because I want to pay off my mortgage quicker. So just from a philosophical difference, you might see things like that in between them. But again, we try to treat every investor differently anyways, depending on how they want to set it up. I mean, one investor could want to buy three properties and one investor could want to buy 15. And that setup and that structure is different in itself.
3: People yeah, actually want to pay off their mortgages faster. That, that's it's incredible. Why would they do that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, definitely from a from a from a planning aspect, you're always going to have you know, in a more from the mortgage broker side. Sorry, what you're dealing with, investors. There's a lot more planning in terms of future planning than there is maybe with a first-time buyer or what what we kind of deem as regular clients. But I think you know, as what you can kind of tell from Dan is we have a we have a very different philosophy. A lot of times when it does come to our investor because we, it, we really we look at investors more like professional athletes and we look at you know our role in that as more of their sports agent for the professional athlete and the banks as just the teams. Um, there's it's it really, yeah, you, you know, it's like every professional athlete, you want you know their agent wants them calling them on any problem, even if the professional athlete gets thrown in jail, they want the agent to be called, and we're very similar, we want. Anytime there's a financial issue, anytime there's an issue with their tenants, anytime there's anything going on that has to do with their investment, we want to know. We want to know and we want to be able to have notes on that and be able to guide them the right way that we can on our side. Um, And that's probably the biggest difference between a regular client and and an investor is that we're really trying to provide that, that way over the top professional athlete and agent type of relationship.
4: The other thing too is that you guys have always uh, set up investors with a plan, right? Because I mean, it really determines where you're going to go, right? I mean, uh, Brian, Eric, and I always talk about the value of the dream team, and I think uh, you and Dan have been a huge part of you know our personal dream team uh, because you set us up for success, right? You, we had a plan. Well, one of us had a plan; the other one was along <laughs> for the ride um, <laughs> of where of where we wanted to go. And I mean, we wouldn't have gone very far very quickly if we didn't have you know, a solid uh, team in place. And that's obviously the two of you guys because you plotted out how we were going to do things um, moving forward. So, I mean, that's the value, I think, of what you guys do. And, I mean, you guys, um, you know, undersell yourselves all the time. I mean, you are really the secret weapon for a lot of these investors and a lot of their success. So, I think anyone looking to get into real estate investing, I mean, that's the first thing is that, uh, you know, Go and work with someone who understands real estate investing, but who's, who also understands your vision and, and, and goals and where you want to stay. Well, we
1: appreciate that. I- it's, it's not a difficult recipe. I mean, for us with investors, it's navigation through those banks is essential nowadays, especially if you want to scale uh, the ability to buy. You have to know the different sort of products. That's one thing. And then you have to have the client's best intentions in mind, because like we said before, sometimes the deals come to us and they need to go outside of our source. So if you have knowledge of the industry, the ability to place those mortgages, and then the client or the investor's best intentions in mind, I mean, it goes miles
2: Yeah, Yeah, don't sell yourself short there, Erica and Jay. You guys, I mean, you guys were like firecrackers. I mean, I still say, I still laugh, but from, you know, Dan and I, we talk about it sometimes. We're like, wow, like how quickly you guys executed the plan. I mean, Dan and I lay out plans every day. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but the difference is, is you guys executed it uh, immensely fast, probably faster than. Any, you know, that any investor that I can think of, you know, there's only really a handful that I can think of that really rapidly went the route you did, which was acquiring all the ones that you acquired and you were very aggressive about it. Um, and I think it's obviously paying off for you a lot now. So
3: I've never been called aggressive before, Dave. I don't know where that's <laughs> coming from.
4: <laughs>
3: like you guys that. made it like a recipe. It was like step one step one to ten, right? I mean, Dave Butler's uh, <laughs> recipe of how to become you know, wealthy in real estate. And I mean, we just did what you said to do. And people are always like, well, how does that happen? Like, do you know Jay Butler? He'll tell you exactly what to do. You have to fricking listen to every little thing and then it'll work out. And they're like, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great idea. But no one actually does it. You're right. So
1: I figured that out years ago in my teenage years. I figured that out, Erica.
2: So
3: (laughs) we should all get shirts that have that finger pointing to the left. Right. I'm with Dave.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I, I cannot take any of that credit at all. I promise. I just lay out an easy. It's 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 like clockwork. I mean, you just lay the plan out, and the investor goes and executes. And you guys, without without, I mean, it was it was it, that was fast, and it was efficient, which was really different. I mean, you guys were getting the home, filling it, and then quickly getting the next one, and there was no hesitation. I mean, you had put your mind to it, and that was it. You guys were off to the races. So.
3: There was a few calls there where it's like, oh, gee, like, Dave said we could buy another one. And then it was like Monday morning, 6 a.m. Hey, Dave, we found another house. Does this one work? And you're like, holy shit, it guys. It started getting
2: very normal for you to wake up on a Monday and get an email from Eric or Jay saying, hey, we bought this. thing. I think they would rotate like, because they wouldn't want to do Erica two weeks in a row. So they'd go Erica on the one Monday. And then the next Monday it would be Jay. Like they didn't want to. They tried to keep the flavor changing every week.
4: We you don't realize Dave America cracked my email password and it's um, mastered forging my signature. So <laughs> <laughs> they were—they were all Erica. So yeah, I was gonna say, do you even know
2: how many are owned by your family right now, Jay?
4: Um, not really. Is—is is that a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> no, that's a good thing. I try Yeah, it's a good thing. Of it? That's a good thing. Yeah,
0: you're yeah. fine. Don't worry. When you guys were talking about um, like your story with Erica and Jay and how quickly they scaled up, um, before I was aware of Butler Mortgages, I was working with other mortgage agents with investors, and it's kind of refreshing when speaking with you guys. No, no, it's it's true though. This is this is a this is like a backhanded compliment. but it was refreshing that that when i brought clients to you guys that it was a case of let's see how we're going to get this done rather than yay or nay and it was just it was more cookie cutter before and now it's more like uh you guys flex and you push and you pull for what needs to happen for that client and i find that like extremely refreshing and then obviously you guys can make us look good and obviously hopefully in return we can make you look good from time to time too
1: Oh, absolutely. It's definitely, it works both ways with our end, too. I mean, it's, it 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 can't flow without, you know, the team. It just can't. The, the, a, a break in the chain will would collapse the system. So it's essential that we all work together with the investor, with you guys, with us, with the lawyers, with the, you know, with everybody that we work with.
0: yep, for sure. So how is a a typical investment property evaluated by your team? And then how do you, uh, the underwriters and the bank, evaluate them?
4: You want that one, Dan?
1: Uh, sure. I mean, typically, it, it, depending on the the property and the bank, every bank is different in the way they review the, the rental property. So, depending on the rent and the rental offset that that bank is using, depending on the amount of properties, I mean, some banks will just have different qualifications. So, Depending on the investor, again, depending on the amount of properties they have, depend, might dictate which bank we have to go to. But I mean, most of the time, generally, on your first rental property, we're seeing banks that count about half the rental income on what's coming in. So if you're buying a property, let's just say for four hundred grand, and it's being we order an appraisal and the appraiser goes out and gives a fair market rent of eighteen hundred. Well, most banks on your first property are only going to count fifty percent of that rent. So in that sense, you know, rental income we get, to, I get asked that a lot you know when when that when i say well if the numbers don't work they say well i'm going to be renting it out well the bank doesn't use the full rental amount when they're qualifying you believe it or not they're only using an offset amount some banks will start to use a higher amount once you own one rental property but again now you're sort of getting into the back end side of things where we're just trying to navigate through the different banks but um Location is important, of course, when you're buying rental properties. Um, the the type of rental, I mean, we're seeing nowadays, I know that uh, Airbnb is becoming a big thing, and lots of people are buying cottage properties with Airbnb. One thing we're running into now is we're seeing those treated more as a short-term rental, which means short-term rentals are viewed more as like sort of a hotel or a bed and breakfast, and they're getting pushed more to the commercial side of things. So anything that's being marketed ahead of time or being pushed on the internet as an Airbnb or something like that, we're finding sometimes it's getting a little pushback on the commercial side rather than a regular, you know, cottage property that might be rented out for a full year.
2: Yeah, I mean, we have a, a, typically these, and it changes every year or so. But I mean, as Dan kind of alludes to, we've got, there's certain lenders that use certain rental offset. There's actually certain lenders that will only allow an investor to have a certain amount of rental properties before they'll say no. So knowing all that information of the different banks we kind of have a formula at any given time that's going to, you know, yield the most amount of potential properties that an investor can get. And that's always kind of the plan. That's the, the roadmap, if you will, for that particular investor. So, a lot, I mean, for as a total example, today, if an investor comes to Dan and I and says, hey, I'm brand new, this is what I want to do, I want to start buying investment properties. You know, the, the, at today's moment, we're probably outlining a plan where we're trying to get there first three four five rentals with td and the reason why we go to td at the first is very simply right now td's rule is once someone has five more five rental properties or more td will start to decline the client so we know rates right then and there they have less of a stress a threshold Sorry for investors that have a lot of properties then you have scotia would be next usually they'll allow an investor to have up to 10 of which of those 10 you can't have more than five with scotia so there you're already now potentially three four five with td then three, four, five with Scotia. Then we start looking at the RBCs, CIBCs. CIBC becomes a big player in this, but they're usually a big player near the end. And that's simply because they don't have necessarily a cap on the amount of rentals an investor can have, but they will have a cap on an investor not being able to get more than five with CIBC. So it's really, it's all it is, is knowing each lender knowing their, you know, at that time, because it does, it changes all the time. Each I've seen lenders change their yeah. their programs, you know, notoriously every couple of years. But, I mean, we just, right now, we would put a game plan together where we could effectively say to the investor, hey, this is how many we think your application get. Here's the direction we would go. These are the banks that we would use. And then we kind of just go from there. You know, we, we obviously, a lot of times we have, Clients wanting to buy five plexes, six plexes, you know, we get it. More, there is more income there. Uh, the problem with stuff like that sometimes is once you go over four units, you start to look at commercial financing, which isn't the prettiest, and it's not that nice residential stuff, and the rules are very different. But, I mean, that's, in, in essence, when we are meeting with an investor and we're setting things up, you know, based on the bank's criteria, individually the bank's criteria, that's how we will start to align the, the roadmap and set it up for them.
3: It's basically like the secret sauce right there. I mean, like I when I meet clients and they're like, oh, yeah, I walked into my, you know, local CIBC last week and I'm going to buy my first property with them. And it's like, no, don't do that. CIBC is great, but they're like your 10th lender, not your first.
2: (laughs) Yeah. You know what? Really, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's not rocket science, but there's and it's more or less knowing that, as you say, secret sauce. uh, We just happen to know it. I mean, it's our game. This is what we do every single day. I mean, every you know Dan and I are talking sometimes till midnight i mean and and beyond that in yep. terms of files. I mean, this is just something we do every minute But wow, What do your time.
3: wives think? You go are on the phone until midnight? Like, that, that's just... <laughs> okay, well, at
2: this point, I think they just look at us as brothers, and they realize it's never going to stop, and they just accept it. I mean, I'm sure they take
1: yeah. it a
4: bit at first, but they just realize it's not going to stop. I mean, just,
1: uh, And no let's be honest, thought. sometimes midnight is the best time to be doing work. It's the time where there's not a lot of emails coming in. We have time to focus on deals, so it's actually a good hey, time. But now that the people know us.
3: that, like, I got onto that, and I <laughs> <laughs> morning, right? When I <laughs> was up with the baby or before that when I couldn't sleep. And I know that's
2: when Dave emails back the fastest. So. <laughs> well, there you I, go. I, I'm remembering a time where Eric and I were emailing back and forth at like four in the morning. It was funny because she's saying, what are you doing? up?" I'm like, oh, I'm working. I said, what are you doing? up?" I'm working and I'm dealing with a baby right now. I was like, oh, okay, that <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> yep.
0: What's the value in working with you guys as opposed to a standalone mortgage agent then?
2: Um, I mean, it's pretty, I, I, I you know, at this point, that, it's really the biggest difference is we're not we're not doing just one deal. I mean, we're not we're not looking at you know, it's not an individual file when we're looking at a file. I mean, we are looking at a file with a plan in mind, put you know, architect, um, you know, putting it putting kind of an architect plan around this thing in terms of what they can do. I mean, we also have as we kind of noted earlier, we have extra programs that we have. Uh, made at Butler Mortgage, such as our rent-to-own credit counseling program. We've got our credit review program, where we will actually review credit bureaus for prospective tenants or tenant buyers, and really just try to screen them so that the investor is getting um, the you know being able to put their best you know uh, tenant into the home. Um, you know, and I think really the tr- you know it. it I it don't mean to sound cheesy because I'm sure some people will say this a lot, but I think the difference really is that. Uh, you know dan and i this isn't a job for us i mean it's just not a job i mean a job is something you do from nine to five and you know you, you give it your best effort and then when you're done you're done i mean um uh, there's not much different between dan you know D- dan Patton and dave bob the mortgage broker and dan patten dave bob the person i mean we you know unfortunately for us at least in this point in our career uh because we're not retired yet it's, it's they're, they're 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 both the same person i mean we're you know, there's no off switch for us. Everything is always on. Um, and it's just, you know, I think some of that comes back to that kind of sports background and that, you know, we treat this like we're on the battlefield. I mean, I have an analogy I say to my staff all the time. I said, this is not, you know, this is not a job. I mean, we are on a battlefield all day long and we are swinging around swords and, you know, there's, there's people are coming after us and, um, you know, and I mean by that, the banks, the banks are fighting with us and, you know, there's you know, we're we're having to fight back, and I mean, we're just we're trying, we're constantly, constantly on on you know on our back foot, fighting and battling, and and that's just it's just what we do every day, and I mean, it's exhausting, but it's it, I don't know of any other way to do it. I don't think Dan does either. I mean, this no. is I think why, <laughs> yeah, this is why we work together. You know, him and I are, make you know I think a really good team is that, um, you know, I we, we we both have a very solid understanding as to what this is and what we're doing and and how to achieve it. Um, and really for us, it, it's having the investors have success and them to feel comfortable and be happy with us. Yeah, And I
1: think a lot of the time you run into investors, I mean, a lot of our investors, of course, like David mentioned, they have jobs. They have full-time jobs. They have other things that they're trying to. So when they come to people like David and I, they need to know that, look, I'm leaving my file. I'm leaving my finances. I'm leaving my investment with you guys. I need to know it's going to be taken care of. And I mean... I think with our experience, and like anybody that works with us can tell you, I mean, we always have their back and we're always able to work with them. And I think that that takes a lot of the pressure and the stress off of the investors we deal with. And then one thing that Dave forgot to mention as well is we do get, you know, really good rates. We get, you know, Butler Mortgage is one of the biggest brokerages in the country, and we get access to some pretty great rates out there. Uh, and that's another advantage that we have as well.
4: So can we just go back to the part about uh, you guys swinging swords around? Are you guys like a modern-day Zoro over there at Butler <laughs> <laughs> but Yeah,
1: we try to be. We try to be. We're, in, we work paperwork. and the office, and, yeah.
2: the office <laughs> rates, uh, you know, we're, we're not we're – not, I don't think Dan and I are easy to work for. I mean, we're very demanding. Um, you know, and that's – with with time, you know, comes lots of changes in staff. You know, I think some people aren't able to handle you know you kind of know right away who's coming from a background of understanding what we're doing and 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 being an intense business background and who doesn't you know and um right now dan and i've talked about this a lot in the last six months or so we feel like we've got our best team and you know our best team you know what that equates to is people that understand that we're swinging swords around all day and they're not you know they don't take anything personal um You know, and uh, they're there as well to swing their swords. And, And we're all doing it really, you know, with one thing in mind, and that is get the investor what they need, get them what they want, and let's make sure that we're a solution and we're not part of the problem.
4: And Erica's just slid me a note she wants to know if there's capes involved with the swords or no. <laughs> Masks. Masks.
2: Ann prefers like a Zoro mask and I I like a cape,
1: so. Yeah, we come in wearing those every day. That's 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 the first step of our day. <laughs> and Uniform's a butler
2: mortgage, I love it.
3: So we're driving around Welland right now, and so Sleeping Baby and uh, both of us in the car, but there's some great houses that we're seeing. uh, Just wondering. (laughs) Just kidding.
1: (laughs) You want us to run a pre-approval on the podcast for you? My my,
2: my heart just dropped. My heart just dropped because I'm thinking, oh my God, you guys guys are, I've I've been sitting on the max amount for quite some time.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I know. We're in the B world, which sucks. But anyways. Um, So, I mean, one of the questions we did want to ask you guys is, are you investors yourselves? And then the second part of that is, where are you seeing, you know, kind of the next hot spot for investors to start buying?
2: Dan, Dan right now is definitely, in the moment, a very active real estate investor. So, I'll let him go (laughs) on that, and then I can talk about what I'm doing.
1: Well, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say overly active. Again, like Dave mentioned, when there's, when there's no off switch in what we do, we spend the bulk of our time working with other investors. So, I mean, my free time is managed by, I've got one duplex in Mississauga that I bought a bunch of years ago that uh, I rent out the upstairs and downstairs, and it's been great. I mean, it doesn't cash flow the greatest, because obviously when you're in Mississauga, the property and the mortgage is a little high. Uh, but much like anything that we do, it's a long-term investment, and the equity build has been great, and I don't imagine it going anywhere um aside from other investors yeah i mean we we invest in i mean we do private loans we do private mortgages things like that just you know stuff that i think any anybody in mortgages and finance do but um dave what i mean you've got a couple problems yeah i mean i
2: i i got rid of my last rental it would have been probably about i want to say two three years ago and it was more or less just the next phase of my life which was um my wife and I wanted to simplify and get down to just our house and our cottage. Um, you know, and when I say cottage, I mean it's 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 actually bigger than our <laughs> our normal home in the, in the city. So, um, and that's been a whole you know new thing for us in terms of we just finished doing like a major construction addition to our cottage. Uh, we've always done lots of renovations to all the homes that we did own. Uh, we've always been heavily in that game in terms of improving homes for resale down the road. Um, and so it was a couple years ago. It was, it was just the, the, the pra- my practice, Dan and I's practice, was just getting so large and so time-consuming that the last thing I was really wanting to do with during the day was dealing with tenants or property managers. Um, so it really just got to the point where... Uh, we simplified, got down to the house in the cottage and took a much bigger role in private lending. Uh, private lending is something that a lot of people know that I'm involved with. My dad is one of the largest uh, private mortgage brokers in the country, uh, just based on how much advertising they do and how much demand that they get from the public for, um, you know, I would call them emergency type loans or situations where the banks won't lend to people. What we do is, you know, we would lend our own money or other private lenders money. Um, And that's really the biggest thing is that for me right now as a business owner, uh, if you were to say, you know, investing in the real estate market today, and I'm I'm talking about away from just your home or your cottage, you know, outside of that, it just made more sense for me to do private lending than buying homes and dealing with tenants and property managers. Yes, I lose out on the appreciation, but... Um, it's very little headache. I mean, private lending is you go and you deposit a check every month. And if the check bounces, you don't deal with the borrower, you go right to the lawyer and the lawyer deals with the borrower. So it's really hands off and it's just something that fits. Uh, but early in my career, I was a big investor as well. I mean, I had several properties in Hamilton, Mississauga, all over the place. And uh, it was really just a simplification of, of our lives. I, I'm, I'm hoping to, at least in the next couple years uh retire fully let dan kind of take over the practice full time with the staff and uh and my son skyler and uh who's now joined us last year he's just started getting going so um, i'd like to really i mean you know when they say live the rock star life i mean i'm i'm trying everything I'm hoping to be fully retired by about you know 42 years old or so in that range so it made sense to get rid of some of the stuff and just get down to the private lending
4: good for you
3: Is that something, Dave? That you guys like broker deals basically with people have private money that they're looking to invest. Is that the service that you guys provide as well?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's something. We're always—I mean, we're always anyone that is interested in private lending. We have a list that we keep with all—it has all of our private lenders and how much they're willing to uh, get involved with. We also add their list to my dad's team's uh, private lender list as well, so that way you've got both sides of Butler Mortgage. Um, looking to get that investor's money out into good deals. Um, And believe it or not, I mean, probably I'd say lately in the last two years, probably 40% of the private mortgages that I lent on um, actually were sourced through my dad's side. Um, And a lot of people don't know this about Butler Mortgage, but Butler Mortgage really is, it's a big brokerage in terms of volume, but we really just consist of two teams. You know, there are brokerages out there that have thousands of teams You know, part of the organization. Uh, Butler Mortgage is two teams. There's Dan and I's team. And then there's my brother and my father's team. And they're both as opposite as you can get. I mean, Dan and I are just referral only. I mean, we don't advertise at all. We deal with, obviously, realtors and investment clubs. um, And that's our niche. Uh, Whereas uh, my dad and my brother are hyper marketers. I mean, you will see them all over the internet. If you ever see Butler Mortgage on the internet, that's not Dan and I that's my brother and my father. If you ever hear a radio ad or you ever see a TV commercial or hear a radio commercial, that's always my dad, my brother's side. Um, And so when they, you know, they focus, they're they're they like to deal with the general public. They're not so much in the referral game. They just like hyper marketing dealing with the general public. And so you have to understand, you know, when you look at Dan and I's clientele, it's all investors pretty much. I mean, for the most part, right? How many times is a real estate investor going to want to borrow Private money, you know, at high rates—it's very little. I mean, that's not—that's there's no investors waking up saying, oh, "I can't wait to go and borrow money at 12 percent." Um, so we have a lot of times very little action in terms of demand for private loans from our clientele. Whereas my father and my brother—they're marketing to the general public. Um, they're getting calls from all walks of life, not just investors. Getting calls from everyone and everywhere, and a lot of times their client uh their clientele is going to be much more in demand for private money. So they have a lot of times clients will call them off their ad and they're in trouble. They just went through a bankruptcy or whatever the case may be and they, they need to get access to equity to their home or their bank's not renewing them and so they may have to go to a private mortgage lender. Um so I mean they they just my dad and my brother side have a lot more demand. So a lot of times if I get a private loan paid back, I'll go to my dad right away and say, Hey Dad, here I got I just got a hundred thousand dollar private loan paid off let me know when you have a deal to put it back out. So, and there's actually some rockstar investors as well that have dealt with my dad. I mean, we we're looking for any good leads. I obviously always look them over, but any anything where it makes sense for us to lend, and we know that the money and the investment would be secure, we're always looking at those deals.
3: It's definitely like the be all and end all, right, of real estate, right? I mean, like we're kind of just getting into that space now where we're able to pull out you know, equity or whatever from deals. And it, whenever we have extra cash, I mean, even tax money, then you would have to pay back at the end of this year. Like I, we lent that out on, on private loans right there. So, I mean, for us, that was like kind of just like you said, you and your wife wanted to get out of kind of the nitty gritty and, and put that money to work in a different way. So that seems like
2: kind of the the, the peachy end of it for investors. hundred yeah, percent. It's a natural progression. It really feels like, I mean, you know, and it's funny too, because a lot of the, Investors from Rockstar today that are involved in private mortgages through Butler Mortgage, um, you'll notice they are investors that have been around for a long time. And it's just a natural progression where, you know, they bought their 10 or 15 Mm -hmm. properties. And now, you know, then they hit the wall, the mortgage wall, if you will, where they couldn't necessarily buy much more. um, And then some started to sell. And then it just becomes more of a natural progression and they want to simplify their life a bit more and they start to diversify. And now they have their investment properties, but now they also start lending privately. And I I, I think that is the key word. It's it's a diversification. Um, You're not so involved in tenant first stuff. Um, It's nice to also have those cookie cutter private mortgage ones. Sure, again, you're not making as much as if you bought a home and held it for five to ten years um, because you're really just making interest. You're not getting that appreciation when you lend privately. Uh, But, again, it's it's a way to diversify your portfolio in real estate.
4: Well, it's a flexibility, too, that real estate investing provides, right? I think everyone that invests in real estate thinks that in order to successfully invest, you need to be a landlord and deal with tenants and all that. It really, like, I mean, just as you, you know, articulated, Dave, like, there's so much more that you can do in terms of kind of being part of the game um i want to ask you one question there just before we get to kind of our fire round of questions and i know uh dan has been chomping at the bit for uh, for this because uh we I've been may studying. not have tipped them off so um so i'll ask it to you know either of you can answer or both of you can answer what's the what's a common mistake you see some real estate investors make when they're dealing with you like i think i'll give you an example um dave kind of touched on this is the, the the benefit of sequencing right is that and erica talked about this as well as about going you know going the wrong order to the wrong series of lenders like i mean that's one thing gotcha that,
1: you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's definitely do. something we see i mean from from there's nothing wrong and i always say this to investors there's nothing wrong with bank product right i mean you go to cibc you go to rbc any of those banks they all have good product but you, you nailed it on the head the the sometimes the issue with going to those guys is they don't have that ability to plan out the long term. So we will run into investors that have come to us where they've already bought maybe three, four, or five properties with a particular bank, and that particular bank is the one we want to leave until last. So their application sometimes comes a little bit cloudy to us. Again, amongst some of the other things, again, I mean, sometimes putting a focus on rate over scalability can be a, you know, a blocking factor. So I think it's important for us, again, with every investor to just make sure we sit down, we go over sort of the plan. I mean, Dave and I have a ton of experience in doing this sort of thing. So I've got a good idea. Dave's got a good idea on how to accomplish the goals most of the investors are trying to do. Some of the time, it's just either getting them on the same page or listening to their reasons for doing it another way and trying to figure out how to get it done that way.
2: Yeah, definitely. I would say not following the game plan is always the biggest major mistake that we find. Um, But I mean, some of the other mistakes that we see is, investors overzealously putting the first possible tenant into their home without screening them very well. I mean, that and that just seems to be, when we talk about natural progressions, that seems to be a natural thing and that investors have to kind of learn on their own. I mean, everyone who's buying their first or second rental, let's say, um, you know, they want to fill it right away. I mean, you know, sometimes, and I, I think every investor is guilty of this, is that we put – the you know the mortgage payment at the forefront, and we kind of get blinded by the fact that you know hey I'm gonna go put this really crappy tenant in my home and hope that everything is good uh, you know because I don't want to have I don't want to have to pay a mortgage payment or two without rent you know and that's it, it, that can be short sighted because if you're you know if you're buying a home for hundreds of thousands of dollars and you're not willing to go through the right process to find the right tenant buyer you're basically saying that you don't want to lose a 1000 or $2,000 in payment, you know, you just want to quickly get someone in there. I mean, that's without screening properly, I've always felt that that's a major mistake. And I mean, Dan and I see it all the time because we'll get a call from the investor, let's say two, three years down the road after they've entered into a rent-to-own contract, and the uh, they, we will, they'll say, hey, my tenant buyer wants to buy my house now. And we'll say, well, did we screen them originally? And they say, no, I had just put them in the home. And so right away, we know we're probably going to have a bit of an issue because if you didn't screen a prospective tenant buyer in a rent-to-own, how do you, like, why did you put them in a rent-to-own? How do you know they're willing to buy? And sometimes the investor will say, well, because they were willing to give a bigger deposit. Um, But deposit does not yield approval. Um, Income, uh, credit issues, these are the things that need to be at the forefront when you're talking about a rent-to-own tenant buying a home. So, I mean, yeah. definitely, you know, being short-sighted um, and, you know, not looking at it as a long-term investment and just kind of wanting to go for short-term gain, which is get some in my home really quick, you know, so I don't have to be paying this mortgage out of my pocket. I mean, that's that we have found that to be something that's pretty, I mean, it, it's something we find a lot, actually, unfortunately. But everyone goes through it. I mean, once they go through that once or twice and they realize, okay, that's probably not the way I should do this. They'll start taking advantage of our screening programs, and they'll come to us. And and sometimes it's just them not knowing that we do this, but we try to tell them. But a lot of times, half the stuff we're telling an investor, it's going in one ear and out the other because at the beginning they're so amped up just to invest, you know. And you know how it is when you get really really excited doing something for the first time. You know when you buy your first home and the home inspector is going through all these potential problems, you're just. Half of that stuff you're not even listening to. A because you don't understand it, but B because you're just so excited to get into the home and you know buy this thing, and that's it, just a natural thing. You don't take it all in. You don't really learn until you make your own mistakes. So uh, I would say that's probably one of the biggest things. But yeah, I mean, to the big, the, the number one problem that we see and what we find is, is investors that don't stick to the game plan. That usually yields them much lower results.
0: So. With with regards to the rent owns, the simplest thing is if you're purchasing a property going property first versus tenant first, um, you should just basically put them in touch with you guys and you're gonna let me know as the owner of the RTO whether they are good for the term of three years that the deal can be done.
4: Yeah, we we're can gonna, basically we're
2: do,
1: yeah Yeah, we, we can look at the file and do a bit of a pre approval. We can look at things like I mean Pre-approving somebody nowadays, a lot of it comes down to, you know, provable income, how much down payment they're going to have, and the most importantly, ratios, right? So it's very easy for us to sort of look at somebody's income, look at their debt load, and calculate whether or not they're going to be able to qualify to buy this house, Um it's you know it's a very educated review. Of course, there's no guarantees. I mean, somebody can do whatever they want with their credit or their employment over those three years. But we can get a good sense for those people by looking at the credit. I mean, there's no better predictor of the future than the past. And everything in terms of your debt history is going to be on your bureau. So from there, combined with your job, we can get a pretty good sense of where your affordability will be in the next few years and how much you can afford now as well. And not only that, how the credit's been going, how you've been able to afford things.
2: Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, to Dan's point, I mean, if you think about it, uh, if I get, let's say an investor, uh, you know, is showing his home and there's his or her home story, and there's three or four prospective tenant buyers, I mean, we, we want to be able to screen all three or four of them and provide a ranking in terms of who is best for future possibilities of purchasing this home. You know, and a perfect example would be um, you have some, one of the prospective tenant buyers is just filed for bankruptcy. But well, we already know right away that client is minimum, minimum two, three years from being able to buy that home. And that is in a best-case scenario. So if they're entering into a two- or three-year own and they just filed for bankruptcy, that's probably one we're going to rank near the bottom. Because we're going to say, look, everything has to go perfect for them to be able to buy a home in two or three years. And I mean perfect. Uh, the likelihood of someone out of a bankruptcy, everything going perfect in two or three years, is not likely. Right. So we would kind of rank them near the bottom. Another one would be a client is self-employed that's showing very, very little income on their taxes. Um, that's you know even if they do have good credit, you know we have to let that investor know that hey, as much as this person has decent credit, um, or even good credit they are going to have a heck of a time qualifying for this mortgage because they're not going to be able to show the correct amount of income. So that's really what it is. We're just trying to pre-screen them. It's never going to be perfect because we're having to make an assumption that everything's going to stay constant for the next two or three years sometimes. Um, but at the end of the day, as Dan mentioned, we've got their credit history in front of us. we got six years of their history, effectively, that we can look at. And and that's being able to look past the six years, you're able to see some trends, good or bad, that you may want to be part of your decision, um, and being able to look at the income. I mean, we've also had times where, you know, the credit has is, is got some issues that needed to be repaired. They do have some income, but they don't have enough income. You know, there's there's a lot of people out there that want to get into a rent where, you know, they're they, they, you know, no disrespect to them, but there's two two people, two adults making. You know roughly fifty thousand dollars together and they want to go and rent to own a home that they're kind of planning to buy for four hundred fifty thousand in three years well that 50 grand is never going to qualify for that four hundred fifty thousand dollar home um, so sometimes we just have to let the investor know right away hey they're not bad people they're not you know they don't seem to have many major credit issues and they seem to have both income you know but they probably don't have enough income to make it qualify and really we're just trying to provide all the information we can we always leave it up to the investor sometimes the investors say what would you do You know, we'll tell them what we would do. But um, at the end of the day, it's not our home, and we're not paying the mortgage on it. And, you know, we'll provide as much information as we can. We'll give you our thoughts on it, and we're not afraid to give our personal thoughts. But um, at that that point, it's up to them to trust us or go on their own.
0: Right. And when it comes to um, those that have, like, a little less than favorable credit, are you any way involved in the credit rebuilding portion of it for them?
2: Yeah, we, we, we love that stuff, to be quite honest. I mean, there's nothing better for us than to be able to help feed the process along, you know, because, as, you know, it's anyone who knows, I mean, our number one goal is always with the investor. I mean, our goal is to make the investor happy. So if the investor, um, you know, the is the a rent to own, they obviously have an intention of selling this thing. Um, we will work with their tenant buyer. I mean, we offer this from day one, and we always tell all of the investors, we say, hey, you now work with Butler Mortgage. And Butler Mortgage, by virtue of you working with us, we have a special program that we offer to all of our investors, tenant buyers. So if you are an active tenant buyer of one of our investors, we offer free credit counseling. We will work with these people for years. Um, I can attest to ones that I know we've worked with them for nine years. I mean, there are some people still in rent-to-owns for nine years trying to buy. We provide them as much information. Sometimes you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And so uh, so unfortunately there are times where we have worked, and for this particular example I'm thinking about the one for nine years, um, they're just not great at following our instructions. And there always just seems to be one thing after another that seems to kind of pop in on there. But um, there are many, many success stories where we have worked with tenant buyers from almost the moment they've got into the home, and within two or three years we've helped them improve their credit. Um, and I think part of it too is, you know, we're also able to, with the with the tenant buyer's permission, we're able to keep the investor in the loop as well as what's happening. So um, if the tenant buyer gives us permission to update the investor, we're able to keep the investor up to date with how. Their progress is going, and that way the investor isn't scrambling to figure out what they're going to do in two or three years if the person isn't buying. We're able to tell the investor right away, hey, this isn't going to go, or it is going to go, and that way they can plan. Because nothing—I mean, I think most investors will say nothing is worse than finding out at the last second that your tenant buyer is buying your home next week, um, <laughs> because now you don't have a lot of time to plan. I mean, you're going to end up getting a windfall of money, and it's going to sit in your bank until you find a new home to invest on. In. So a lot of times, for us to be able to give the investor a heads up whether it's going to happen or not, that gives the investor time to plan to get that money back out on the street. Because how do we make our money out as an investor? We got to put our money out on the street. We got to go buy something. Um, so there, we are able to protect against some of those low periods.
3: Yeah, those guys are amazing. Like just a shout out to like Michael Zanzini and Jim Payer. Like we had them. Working on like rent owns for us, and like Michael was so on the ball. Like we kind of forgot about a rent owned you know. He was like, oh, <laughs> following up with this guy, following up with that guy, like every couple months, and it's like, oh, good, someone's on the ball, right? I mean, that that's amazing
2: that you guys provide that service too. Yeah, shout out to Mike. He's the best. Mike. Yeah, the Mike's best. the man. Mike. Mike is the man. He is, and he really cares. He's he's young guy, but he really, really cares. You know, he really he, he when he came to us, he was you know, always wanting to help and get it done. And that's a really good trait, you know, and and he would get upset when the tenant buyer wouldn't be able to get approved, you know, and, uh, he takes it personal. He really does. So, I mean, it's good to have people like that that are guiding these people and and really he's passionate about what he does.
0: Very cool. Is, uh, is Jay back?
4: Dan's been chomping at the bit for an hour waiting for the, I got a list
1: of books to name off here. So,
0: (laughs) okay. All right. Where, uh, where do you guys see yourselves in the next 12 months?
1: Sitting here in my office, doing the same thing I'm doing now in 12 months from now. That's the truth. Like a podcast? Uh,
2: 12 months from now, um, I hope I have more free time, but the reality is I'll probably be doing the same thing I'm doing right now, um, which is uh, Dan and I working on investor files (laughs) and trying to to set up as many plans and execute as much as possible.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Where do you see the market in the next 12 months? Dan?
2: Uh,
1: I mean, I think for investors, the the opportunity to buy is is even stronger when the market sort of levels off like it's been doing. So I think particularly for us in this sort of market with investors, I mean, it will continue to thrive. It will continue to go strong. I mean, Dave Dave said once, I've never forgot it. You know, the one thing you can't take away from economics is supply and demand. And as long as there's a a shortage of supply and excess demand coming in, I don't see how the market could change much over the next few years.
2: (laughs) Um, I think in the next 12 months, I mean, the market... I think it'll still be a fairly strong market, but I think it's going to be, I think it's taking a lot of people um, by, you know, a lot of people are realizing that the market is starting to turn a bit. And And I don't, I don't necessarily even think it's starting to take a turn for the worse. I think, I think a lot of people look at 2017 and they think that that's the way the market works. And I think that's always a big, that's a big mistake. You know, you can't, you know, 2017 is going to go down in history as a very peak year uh, in terms of a seller's market. You know, we had bidding wars. I mean, Dan and I have done this for a long time. I mean, a, I mean, we're, we're almost two decades. We're getting close to there. And in those two decades, 2017 was the only year in which we really saw this insanity of the bidding wars and the craziness. And, you know, that's, that was a recipe that was going to happen no matter what. Because you had low interest rates. You had um, high, high immigration um, and you had, you know, at that point still the mortgage rules were still not as tight. Uh, A lot of people will remember that for years and years and years they were changing uh, the way you could qualify for a mortgage. And every time I would speak on this, I would say, I don't think this is going to have a major effect. Um, And it didn't until the most recent change um, where they basically put that stress test in across the board. Um and I think the stress test is now in and when you combine that with the fact that interest rates are rising, um, we're starting to see a bit of a change in the market. Uh but as Dan said, I think that creates and I've always kind of said this with investors that have asked me the same thing, they say, What do you think is gonna happen when the market starts to take a bit of a turn? Um and I said, I think that just means things are better for investors because we've noticed nothing's changed in the rental market. Um, if anything, rents are increasing, they're not decreasing. Um, so anytime rents are in an increasing environment and you have pricing starting to go a bit stagnant, investors drool over stuff like that, uh, because to them, that means they can get in fairly cheap. Um, and they're not looking at this as a short-term investment. They're looking at it as a long-term investment. So being able to buy when the prices are not so spiky, um, that's always a good thing. Uh, and, and the truth is, is as Dan said, it's all supply and demand. Um, you know, Ontario, for instance, has the highest amount of, of um, new immigrants uh, per per province coming into it, um, so Ontario is is still a very big growth market in my opinion in terms of real estate um, and investing in real estate. It just it won't be 2017, and everyone needs to understand that. Anyone that started investing maybe the last couple of years. They look at 2017, they think that this is how things go all the time. Uh, My house is going to go up by 30% in value every year, and that is just not the case. That's not a balanced market either. And we shouldn't, as investors, we shouldn't pray or want to have an unbalanced market. Balance is really what we want as investors um, with, with the results that we're getting. That's really what we should be seeking. That was bad for a fire. That was a bad answer for a fire round, by the way. <laughs> a little long, eh?
0: It's a little long-winded, but we got the point. The, the house
2: part. is burned down by now.
1: <laughs> uh, who do you
0: guys learn from?
1: Everybody. Everybody that I deal with, I learn from. You learn different situations from lawyers, from brokers, from lenders, from friends. So. I mean, just depending on the situation, I think mortgages, obviously, Dave, his dad, um, lots of people through the years for myself, I've learned a ton from. Um, we've got great staff. Um, a lot of our staff on the back end are the ones that deal with the lenders nowadays, which allows me to deal a lot with the investors up front. So, I mean, the the, the, the team we have in the back, <clears throat> excuse me, the team we have in the back has learned so much over the years that, I mean, their back end knowledge is on the same level as, you know, anybody that's out there so we learn constantly from everybody involved in our office and the teams that we work with
2: yeah i'd say for me it's number one would be my dad i mean my dad's been in mortgages for a long 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 time uh i still you know after being in this industry for 16 or so years um i still call my dad and ask him questions i mean he is just a wealth of knowledge that i know you know, we've even set it up where you know people at our office, you know, we have them call my father when they don't know something. I mean, he is—he's always got an answer, and whether it's a good answer or a bad answer, he's always going to give us the information we need. And um, you know, that that's, thats effectively like having an office mentor around us 24/7. I mean, you don't—we're very, very fortunate with that that we have an industry veteran. Um, who is really, 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 you know, astute with, with all aspects of mortgages from every side? So to be able to go to that, you know, to, to him and be able to always ask questions and get answers, uh, that might even be our secret sauce. Yeah, yeah. your own little. I think team that's team. my
3: new goal in life now is to meet Daddy Butler,
2: <laughs> Butler Senior. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's he's a trip. I mean, the whole thing is you got to get used to him. He's insanely direct. I mean, he's old school. Um, You don't care if you like him or not. I mean, that's the last thing he thinks about is he does not care whether people like him. And that's That's why That's what I tell people
3: about you. That's why I say about (laughs) Dave Butler. Like, Dave Butler made me cry once, but I didn't care because he got me the mortgage. (laughs)
2: No, I, 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 believe it or not, really do care. I mean, I have a real crazy conscience. I mean, Dan and I lose sleep over at night sometimes because if a client is, you know, if we don't feel a client is as happy as they should be, you know, we, we, we really, it bothers us. Uh, But my dad, I mean, he doesn't lose a wink of sleep over stuff like that, which has its pros and its cons, right? I mean, it means he probably isn't going to be very good working in a referral system. um, But that's why they do what they do. That's why they're really hyper-marketing because um, you don't necessarily have to care about the results um, when you're in hyper-marketing in the sense of clients being happy. You're there just to put it on the machine and get it through and get the client what they want. Um and that's it. You know, caring about the feelings of the client is a lot less than Dan and I have to deal with.
0: Very cool. Um, I think this one's for Dan. What are you currently reading? And if you're not a reader, which podcast are you listening to?
1: Uh, you know what? i I was gonna come up with a list of all these books and try to sound smart, but I figure I just go with the truth. I mean I'm not a I'm not a huge reader. Um I think the last book, if I'm being honest, the one that I read was uh, "Hunting El Chapo" or something like that. It was about the hunt for El Chapo. Um, but podcasts, of course, I listen to your podcast. I listen to Joe Rogan, and believe it or not, I still I listen to Howard Stern a lot now. I think the show's a lot diff- more different and a lot of celebrity interviews and you know uh, everyday topics and sort of pop culture. So I like those mostly.
2: You can tell Dan and I are basically brothers because I I'm the same. I mean I, I I watch I watch and listen to the Rogan podcast a lot, um, your podcast, Tom and Nick's podcast. I know yes, uh, Tom and Nick as well. Uh, anyone involved in any good podcast that I that I find that's involved in real estate, I like to listen to those. Um, those are good for long two and a half hour drives to the cottage. So um, and uh, book yeah, I couldn't tell you the last book I read. It must it, it would have been something I was forced to read though.
0: Uh do you foresee any major changes coming down in the mortgage industry? I hope not.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we've, we've
2: been hit with it. We've been hit with a bevy of them in the last little while. I don't think you'll see I think with mortgages, I think the biggest thing that we're going to see is the rise of interest rates. I yeah. you know, I don't, you know, I I'm from the school where I I we don't want. I mean, I'm an investor too. So I mean, we don't want the interest rates to continue rising um but the reality is inflation continues to rise um and we do have a liberal government and uh, you know if we look at the past um a lot of times liberal governments when they had inflation you know moving at the pace that it is um, they use rates as a way to cool it off so um you know i would say that the biggest thing we are going to see in the mortgage industry is the rise of rates. I don't think there's much changes they can make to qualifying. Um, And hopefully if anything, in the next couple of years, we will see an ease um, on the qualifications and maybe, you know, maybe the stress test will get lowered so that more people can qualify. Uh, But as far as major changes, I think the biggest one really is going to be interest rate.
0: Is there any advice you would give to investors from your perspective?
2: Dan?
1: work with people you trust and work with people in the know yeah Damn.
2: I mean, that's definitely a good one um you know I for me biggest advice I'd give to investors is uh, be patient I mean uh, a portfolio was never built overnight you know this is real estate this isn't uh, we're not collecting hockey cards here and or marbles I mean this is not something that's done overnight um you know this takes a lot of planning and it takes a lot of execution um you know, and uh, these are big purchases. Like I said, it's not, these aren't $5 items. These are hundreds and thousands of dollars. So um, be wise, you know, and as Dan says, surround yourself with a good team. I mean, that's really the biggest success that we've seen investors have in the past is, are ones that had their lawyer, their their mortgage broker, their accountant, their realtor, obviously the realtor is the most important in my opinion. Um, you know, have have your coaching, everything, have that down pat. And uh, if you're in the right system, then you will flourish.
0: Agreed. I don't. I'm not sure if Erica and Jer. I don't
3: I... agree with being patient, but everything else I agree with. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's not a word in Erica's vocabulary. Patient. No. <laughs>
2: no. mean, yeah, I should, I, should, I should put a little asterisk. That. I say there are some that have moved at the speed of light and yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, have, have succeeded fully. Awesome.
0: <laughs> Well, that's uh, pretty much it, fellas. Um, thank you very much, obviously, for taking the time out of your very busy days to sit down with us and, and shoot the breeze on, on a very important subject. So thank you very much. No problem at all. You guys are great.
1: Thank you so much for having us on. It was a pleasure. Anytime you guys want to have us on, uh, I'd be more than happy to come back. So really appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Thanks, guys. Take
1: appreciate care. Thanks, guys. Bye bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye.
2: It's a long pause. I, was just, I just literally thought my phone died. I was like, holy shit. I got I, I was wondering how much of that I said that didn't get through. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to call back.
0: Well, it's the quietest I've heard, Erica. So I'm like, oh, they must have dropped.
3: I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just woke up. So we're just waiting for her to start screaming. <laughs>
1: we can trim, oh, smart, we smart, can trim smart. down the awkward pause.